I'm serious. I think if people knew the impact of what treatment can do in terms of changing their world, it's so huge. I, I always compare it to when we're dealing with depression, anxiety, wearing like gray colored glasses. And then when we get it treated, we're taking those glasses off. So you're seeing the brightness of the world again. You're seeing the colors. You're enjoying what's around you. And welcome to the Millennial Health Podcast. I'm Dr. J. Cherie Allen, a board-certified family physician who's passionate about the health of my fellow millennials. I know we're booked and busy, but your first wealth is your health. So I'm taking some of my most important health messages and bringing them here to you on this podcast. My goal is to share some valuable information and draw awareness to some important health topics, but I encourage you to please consult your physician for personalized medical advice. So today on the Millennial Health Podcast, we have, I think you might be like a friend of the show at this point, because you're a repeat guest. (laughs) I'm I'm considering myself that. I'm all good with it. I like the title. Oh, we have Dr. Dion Metzger with us. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me again. Yes, it is a pleasure. So I was just telling you that I wish things were a little different when we were sitting uh, to do this recording again, because we spoke at the beginning of the pandemic last Mm -hmm. year. Mm -hmm. And here we are speaking again uh, in the midst of this Delta wave. Um, that has come up on us again. And it's really had an impact on us as a society. Um, And one of the major ways is certainly our mental health. And so today I really wanted us to dive into, right, it's been a year and a half into this thing. Yes, there's some stress. Yes, there's some burnout. Yes, there's some being annoyed and agitated. But there's also some real pathology that has taken hold in our communities throughout this time. And I want us to get real specific and real honest, real raw about those sorts of things, right? Specifically, anxiety, also known as generalized anxiety disorder or depression, known as major depressive disorder. So first, could you define those because those are big medical terms for us but for our audience Mm -hmm. what are we talking about here yeah so we can start off with anxiety um you know sometimes that word is used very loosely and it really is something that it's not just stress so i always have to remind people that anxiety is comes in many forms and we have like good anxiety you know when we're excited about something coming up um and then we also have that bad anxiety where it starts to impair things and it makes work difficult so it's getting becoming a factor in our relationships. So that's when we get into the diagnoses, like generalized anxiety disorder, when it's causing, we call it like a functional impairment. So basically it's starting to mess with our lives now. Um, So some of the symptoms of it include, of course, worry. It's one of the classic ones, but it's a persistent worry. It's not just 
oh, I'm stressed out because this happened. It's, you know, I wake up in a state of worry. I'm worrying consistently throughout the day. And anxiety has a way of lying to us. So it makes us think that things are way more urgent than they need to be, or things are way more serious than they need to be. I always describe it to my patients as it being like an alarm going off in our head, like, no, this is, you know, pay attention to me. Um, it has a way of really turning the volume up on things. Uh, so the persistent worry, and then it affects our sleep. It affects our energy. Um, it can even affect our concentration. And that's a way that it can really mess with other parts of our lives, because now we're not as good of a parent or we're not as efficient at work. And um, these are the kind of the other, the things that we see it start to impair. But another really important symptom of anxiety that a lot of people don't know about is irritability. Like it makes you cranky. Anxiety can really affect your mood. And, you know, I always think about it. I'm like, yeah, you know, right before we'd have like tests in med school and people would be real cranky right before it, it makes sense. They were just anxious. Like, you know, the psychiatrist in me now is like, ah, okay, light bulb moment. Um, so irritability, changes in sleep, changes in energy, the persistent worry are really some of the classic symptoms that we see with anxiety disorders. Um, and anxiety also can affect us from head to toe. So it's not just mental where we're worrying about things, but it's also physical. And when I say head to toe, I literally mean head to toe. I mean, from headaches down to tinging in our toes, really common things are like sweating, heart racing, shortness of breath. Um, other things are like stomach upset, having to run to the bathroom. And sometimes these symptoms can be so severe that people are actually going to the ER because they are thinking that they're having a heart attack. Mm -hmm. And rightfully so. You know, we always want to rule out anything medical going on. And um, when we're doing a, the full workup of anxiety, so physically and mentally, that anxiety can really wreak havoc. So then how do we separate that from depression? Because the way you mentioned anxiety is a really common one. And we kind of throw the term around loosely. Yes. But I think people do the same with depression, too. Yeah. So can you talk yeah. about what that is? So, you know, depression and being sad are very different, right? So we can get sad when we deal with a loss or we deal with a change or something didn't work out the way that we wanted to. But when we start using the word depressed instead of sad is when it starts first of all, lasting longer than it should. So, you know, for us, a marker is two weeks. That's when we consider it a depressed episode. Or if it's starting to be to the point that you're so sad you can't go to work. Or you're so sad you're staying in your room and not getting up. You can't get out of bed. So once again, functional impairment. So basically when it starts messing with your life, that's when the sadness is now depression. Um, and sometimes we have a little bit of an issue where people are just saying, well, you know, I'm just stressed right now. I got a lot going on in my life. And I said, yeah, but you haven't gotten out of those PJs in three days. Mm -hmm. That my dear may be depression. Yes. Okay. And I know, cause I was one of those people that when I went through a breakup, I was put the sad songs on. <laughs> I'm a cry it out. Like I understand it. Right. I was one mm -hmm. of those. I'm one of those mm -hmm. people. Right. But if it's to the point that you are missing work, Mm -hmm. You are not getting out of your PJs for weeks at a time. Mm -hmm. Okay. Then it's time to come see me. Yes. Uh, there's, there's, a, there's a difference between going through it and going through it, yes. <laughs> you know? So I think that, and it's just basically how we treat it. There's nothing else. I, sometimes people get really caught up in the label and that's why they hesitate to go mm -hmm. see a psychiatrist or a therapist of any type. Mm -hmm. um, and I always say, 
forget the label. Stop focus. We're going to, we want to get you better. We want to get you better. It's treating you. It's not, the label is something we do for coding. Like, you know, it's not really, I, I, I try to get people away from getting so wrapped up in this label because with mental health, a lot of times people think it's like a sign that we now wear on our backs. Like I have major depressive disorder and I, yeah, like, uh, no, 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 no. I always tell people, you'll be surprised how many people are walking around treated on SSRIs that you would have no idea. And you know why they're doing so good? Because they're treated. I try to tell that to my patients too, in the primary care setting that, you know, um, take away the stigma, stop looking at, you know, the extreme cases that you hear about or see on TV. No, No, you just want to get your life back, you know, in whatever healthy way it takes to do that. That's it. That's it. And that's what I tell people because a lot of fears about, starting medications is that it'll change their personality or it'll make them feel like a zombie. And I said, listen, the goal is not to change your personality. The goal is to get you back to where you were before Mm -hmm. this happened. Um, So it's to bring the old you back. We don't want new, new. We want the old you, you know, (laughs) before this happened. And for some people, it's sometimes even better than the old person because they realize that, you know how many people come to me and say, oh my God, I realized I've been dealing with this for like 10, 20 years. Yes. I said, yes. Imagine if you came five years after dealing with it instead of 20. What would your last five years have looked like? Right, right. Yeah. It's just life doesn't have to be this difficult. It doesn't. Mm-hmm. Can we talk about the numbers though? Just to sure. give people a sense of, yeah, how common this actually is. Oh, well, yeah. depression. And, and I think you and I have discussed this before that depression is one of the leading causes of disability worldwide. Mm-hmm. worldwide. So the numbers are are really, really startling. And then if we're going into depression, we're talking about just even within our young adults, it's, you know, suicide, which is a result of severe depression, often untreated. It's like the second leading cause of death mm-hmm. in ages 15 to 29. So this is very, very real. And it makes sense because we often see the first episodes of depression around that age. So usually high school, maybe some people get in middle school, high school, college years is when people have their first true episode. So it makes sense that, you know, we would see it so high because a lot of people are experiencing their first episodes and not necessarily going to get treated. Um, So that's, that's one thing, just some really important statistics when it comes to depression, but anxiety, which is a whole nother ball game. But I was reading that there was just like 3 million US cases per year. Do you know how many people that is? And then (laughs) And it was, I think it was 19%. Let's just round it at 20. So that's mm-hmm. one in five people. Mm-hmm. Think about your family. That's mm-hmm. one of y'all. Yep. At least, probably two, um, who's dealing with anxiety symptoms. So anxiety, I believe, is is just more people are going to get treated for because anxiety and panic attacks can be so debilitating when they happen. Whereas people, you know, if they're sad and depressed, they're a little they don't have as much of a push. It's not as much urgency to get treated. But those are some of the stats that I was looking at that really was a huge sign in terms of how serious this is. How has the pandemic impacted these two conditions and our population? There are therapists now who always used to have openings. They have like these three to six month waiting lists. It has skyrocketed. And I think there's a few factors of why that has happened. First, people are home, right? So when you're home, you are at home with your thoughts. Mm -hmm. And so people just kind of being still, 
made them realize certain things um, and realize issues in their relationships, issues in their jobs, things that that it just gave them time to reflect. So that was number one. But number two, it's a pandemic. It's a stressor. So anytime you have a stressor in the world, as human beings, we will react. And I always remind people specifically with the pandemic is that, you know, March of 2020, we didn't really have any lead up. It was like all of a sudden one day, all right, y'all, we're going to go ahead and shut the world down. I remember you just saw these major events. It was like in a matter of days. I remember the day the NBA shut down is when it was like, okay, all right, it's real. It's real. And and so we went from kids being in school Monday and Friday, everybody's home, mask on, nobody leave their house. It was very abrupt and very sudden. So anytime something happens so quickly and we can't mentally prepare for it, that is makes it more of a stressor. So I think the combination of people having more time to just reflect on on their moods, in addition to just the, the pandemic and the abrupt nature of it, and then secondarily of what it led to, where we had more unemployment, we had people who are now spending time home in unhappy marriages, and that led to, you know, divorces, but also it's just, you know, you have more exposure to a stressor with mm-hmm. if you're home in these kind of environments that aren't necessarily happy. Mm-hmm. So yes, they have gone up. And, you know, I'm always a very much looking for a blessing in disguise when these kind of things happen. And it's brought people to treatment who probably wouldn't have come in 2019 prior to this. That, and I think we're also talking more about Mm -hmm. this too. We're being a little more vocal Mm -hmm. about it. And even uh, with the recent events of our athletes, Simone Biles and Naomi Osaka, I think, yeah, that has given a lot more voice to us talking about some of our mental health issues. So I do appreciate the pandemic for that one Mm -hmm. thing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, it it, it kind of brought everything to the forefront and just like, okay, listen, I need to go ahead and treat this Mm -hmm. and, and go from there. And it also made people recognize and valued the smaller things, things that, you know, when we were kind of in our routine and we're working all the time, people are like, ah, I'm spending time with my children now. You know, I want to kind of be my best self to do this. Yeah. So then if we are at the point where someone's listening to this and they're like, whoa, I am just kind of checking off all those signs that you mentioned earlier, whether it's in regards to anxiety or depression, And I guess this is not stress like I thought, and it's not just the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And I probably had a problem before Mm -hmm. the pandemic even came along. Mm -hmm. What do I do next? What do I do now? Please come in and see somebody. Um, And I'm going to give you really specific instructions on this because sometimes people get lost in the mix where they're like, okay, I know I need treatment, but they don't know what to do next. Or they get kind of intimidated by the process. First of all, I always say there's no... um, there's nothing bad in terms of just getting an evaluation. A lot of times people are scared because they don't instantly want to take a medicine. No, there's nothing wrong with just talking to somebody and getting evaluated. It does not mean you're instantly going to be prescribed something or you're going to be put in a hospital. It's just an evaluation just to get a little bit more information about what you're going through. So that's number one. And number two, it's okay to start looking for a therapist that you want. Um, I see a lot of people sometimes just kind of take whatever they can get and the therapist not isn't necessarily a match for them. And one bad experience makes them say, nah, I'm not gonna go back, that was terrible. So I said, you know what, if we can set up the least amount of barriers in this search process, let's do that. So if you want a woman, you can search for a woman. If you want you know, an older, younger, certain race, 
this is one of the times you could say exactly what you want and look for that because a therapist that's something you can relate to is so important in you getting better. Yeah. It's so, so important. So psychology today, I love this resource because first you can look up under your insurance and you can also see pictures of therapists and then you can also find out what they specialize in. So you can really tailor it to your area, your insurance and what it is you're dealing with and find somebody for you and make it, don't just pick one. Okay. Because now everybody's going to have availability. So when you go there, I want you to sit with a piece of paper and write out, you know, at least five and call mm-hmm. all of them mm-hmm. and, and see, see who, see who comes back. So don't just pick one and say, okay, this is it. I got it. I got it. No, you know, especially the way how things are so busy right now, we can't just narrow it down that the person you find is going to be the one that's you're going to get. So I say, you know, make a list of five, write it down. It might be one of the biggest decisions or best decisions, I should say, that you may ever make. Absolutely. I agree with you on that completely. So my therapist now is a Jamaican woman, just because a lot of the issues that I needed some help with had to do with a lot of cultural context. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I didn't feel like using my time to teach a cultural <laughs> competency course. No, I wanted someone no, who understood no. some of the nuances of yeah, what I needed I've had to that. talk about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've had patients who wanted like a Jewish therapist because they feel like they could understand a little bit more about the family dynamics. Mm-hmm. That's a good thing. We want mm-hmm. you to connect. So, so, so important that you really feel it's someone you can connect with. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll stress. I love that. You also said, you know, in the beginning, don't just get one because availability is a huge issue. And from personal experience, um, I Especially know that if you're I looking spent... for a therapist of color. Yes, absolutely. It's not as, that, as many of us. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. And booked out until two months, three months from now when you're going through a crisis now, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, so you mentioned a couple of things. So we're going to go to psychology today or other really good resources or insurance company. However, we're going to look for a few therapists, not just one, not in this climate. You need a couple options. Mm-hmm. We're going to call the offices. We're going to see who has availability. So boom, you get an appointment. You mm-hmm. are there with this therapist. How do you know you found the right person? How do you know that this works for you? I have kind of a two session thing because sometimes the first session is is anxiety provoking. You're meeting somebody new and you're telling them like very personal things. So you feel very vulnerable. I say, give them two sessions, first of all, if we do it. And if you don't feel that there's a connection or somebody that can help you, then go because we don't want to waste your time or your money. So that's Mm -hmm. kind of the first thing if the person's not a right fit. Um, But you just know, it's really just if you feel like you can tell them what you need to tell them. So sometimes if there's not a good rapport or relationship between the therapist and the patient, I I feel like the patients often, they describe it as walking on eggshells. That's not the place that you should feel like you're walking on eggshells. It's be the place that you come and you can't wait to tell them what happened this week. You know, (laughs) like you can't, it should be like, you're just letting it out and you're just feeling free. So if you experience that eggshells feeling or just anything that your therapist has said that just I just didn't rub you the right way because we're all human. And sometimes things may happen that are not supposed to happen or not supposed to be said. If you ever, if they said something that just rubbed you the wrong way, then find somebody new, find somebody new, because this is not one of those types of 
doctor patient relationships where, you know, it's just kind of clinical exam. You have to really connect Mm -hmm. when we're treating mental health. Mm -hmm. And so I always kind of remind people that it is okay to find a new one if you feel like you don't connect. But if you are looking forward to your session and you feel like you're able to, to say what you need to say and not be, you know, feeling, not have a response that's inappropriate or not feeling like, you know, you've said too much, then, then do it. And you should look forward to therapy. Yes, you should. Mm-hmm. I had a friend who said, uh, therapy only works if you work it. So absolutely, if you absolutely. are not looking forward to it, you're not putting the effort and the time right. into it, then it's not going to work in your favor. And I say so, that with seeing couples because, you know, sometimes in couples therapy, one person wants to do it and the other person doesn't want to do it. Oh my God, what a waste of time. What a waste of time. Because the person will just be sitting there mad and they're not really letting, you know, letting it all out. It's just, just like couples therapy, same thing goes with individual therapy. You should want to be there and have that good relationship. But what if we find ourselves in a situation where we need to advocate for a friend or a family member who isn't necessarily accepting uh, that this might be an issue? How do we intervene? It's a tough one. This is a tough one. Um, There's a few strategies that we use, of course, just being transparent and saying, I know this is, you aren't you. This isn't, this isn't you. And I want to see if maybe I can help, you know, help you get some help. So kind of the team approach, just saying you aren't being you. Um, Do not throw any diagnoses out. Please, 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 please let the professionals do it. Don't say, I believe you have generalized anxiety disorder and you need to go ahead and go to a therapist. No, don't do that. Don't do that. No, just say, you know, just you, you can really say people are just not being themselves. We can say it in a really kind and gentle way. Just, you know, I, I feel like you've been kind of going through it or, you know, this rough patch has been lasting a while. What can I do to help you? Um, so don't throw any diagnoses. Just saying I want you to get better and express concern in a really kind way is number one. And um, another thing, another part of the strategy is talking about benefits that other people have seen because not everybody takes, oh, I think you should go to therapy very well. Not everybody responds so great to that. Like some people get defensive, like, no, why don't you go to therapy? You know, so sometimes it it gets, it's more, um, people take it as more of an insult rather Mm -hmm. than it's somebody trying to help. So I like to use anecdotes. This actually helps. And I say, you know what? I have a friend, or you can even talk about yourself, you know, who went to therapy and it really helped them. Um, so kind of just giving an example of somebody it worked for mm-hmm. is is a great way to encourage somebody to do it. So it's exactly like, you know, these weight loss commercials. When you see somebody on TV and you see the before and after, that's going to make me wonder like, oh shoot, what'd they do? So it's yeah. kind of that same thing where you're ta- giving a before and after and you're telling the person about the improvement another person has seen. This may motivate them. To, to engage in treatment. So I think those two strategies of just being transparent and also trying to use real life examples of improvement have been the most successful and do not say a diagnosis, do not. What is uh, something that you see in your clinical practice often or something you have to say to patients often that you wish you could just get on a megaphone and say it to the world because you repeat it so many times in a day. Your life's about to change. I'm serious. I think if people knew the impact of what treatment can do in terms of changing their world, 
it's so huge. I, I always compare it to when we're dealing with depression, anxiety, wearing like gray colored glasses. And then when we get it treated, we're taking those glasses off. So you're seeing the brightness of the world again. You're seeing the colors. You're enjoying what's around you. Um, so I think if I could get on a megaphone and say, listen, treatment can change your life. And I'm not even being like dramatic in saying that I'm being dead serious. I'm having people who are now doing hobbies, who are now in healthy relationships, who are now excelling at work because they treated the anxiety and the depression or and or the depression. So mm-hmm. I think if I can get on a megaphone and say something like treatment can change your life. And one of the most common sentiment that patients say to me after um, they're treated and we're doing better and um, is I wish I'd come in sooner. Mm-hmm. That's one of the most common sentiments I get. And yeah, so that if I can get a megaphone and say, listen, it could change your life. It can change your life. I love that. Dr. Mexker, where can we continue to follow you? Gather some of your wisdom. Yes. yes, All this inspiration. Yes. Um, So I am, my website is Dion Metzger, MD.com, D-I-O-N-M-E-T-Z-G-E-R-M-D.com. And Dion Metzger, MD is my my um my handle for everything so that's for twitter and for instagram you can come on and follow me and i'm all about talking about anxiety and depression and just getting more of us treated life's too short we got too much to be thankful for for us to still be having these gray colored glasses on yes love that Mm -hmm. (laughs) thank you so 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 much before we close i wanted to highlight some important resources if you or a loved one are in need of help. Psychologytoday.com is a great resource to find a mental health professional. You can also find great information at the National Alliance on Mental Illness. That's NAMI.org. As we mentioned in this segment, if you're looking for a therapist to relate to your cultural background, Therapy for Black Girls is also a great resource. And if you are having thoughts of harming yourself or harming someone else, please call 911 or present to your nearest emergency department. Support for this episode is provided by a partnership with WHYY in Philadelphia and the Commonwealth Fund, Affordable Quality Healthcare for everyone. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Millennial Health Podcast. Though my goal is to share some valuable information and draw awareness to some important health issues, I encourage you to please consult your physician for personalized medical advice. I hope this information was beneficial to you. And if so, please subscribe to the Millennial Health Podcast and share with your friends please also leave us a review. If you have questions or comments, feel free to reach out on Instagram or Twitter at Dr. Jay Sheree, D-R-J-A-Y-S-H-E-R-E-E.